Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoy Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson and Natasha Mayhew. Michael and Natasha, how are you today? Okay. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, on paper, the idea of recording on Friday morning seemed okay, and it kind of fit in the calendar. Sounds like a great idea, right? Yeah, uh, right. In, in practice, we are it's your early. reluctant <laughs> heroes today. But yes. that's, that's We're in. Okay, so today on the podcast, we're going to briefly touch on the Kerwin Commission, the big hearing that happened earlier this week. We'll talk about issues related to technology and some bills that we're seeing in the General Assembly. And then, of course, we'll talk about the biggest news around town, a new sales tax proposal. Michael and Natasha, first, the big Kerwin Commission hearing, we talked about this. It was a big show, right? right. There was a big rally, jam-packed joint hearing room, and there were four committees. Right. It's on a Monday, too, which mm-hmm. is unusual for... For those of us who are creatures of this Annapolis scene, we're used to the, the the policy week starts on Monday night, but this was a Monday afternoon hearing and and some of the some of the players were in town at seven, eight, nine in the morning getting their seats right, and right. setting up, you know, tents and so yeah. forth. So, <laughs> so the, you know, the town was already already really jumping by ten in the morning. Right. And we had a lot of elected officials in town to testify, and of course, you know, we get it that it's sometimes a long day sitting in committee and waiting for bills. But this particularly was a very, very long day. What was going on in terms of, you know, we had support, you had support with amendments, you had oppose, and then letter of information, right? I think it was just like across the board, just, you know, such a different sort of day because you had all four standing committees hearing this. So the room's already jam-packed. You have hundreds of people signed up to testify. You, of course, got to go through all the supporters, then the support with amendments, then the opposition, then the letters of information. Right, right, right. Um, Even the legislators were were jammed in with sardines. We're used to seeing maybe two committees get together in this one joint hearing room. Right, right. You can put two House committees in there reasonably comfortably, but two House committees and two Senate committees – all on one day, they got extra tables. There's you know microphones and laptops every place. It, I mean, it, it looked like one of these you know one of these hearings in D.C. where there's 700 microphones yeah. from all the news agencies and stuff. I mean, it felt like you know this whole this this, this big 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 thing. And so. it makes sense, right? You don't want to have four different days where you're going to hear about this bill, right? It makes sense to do it all at the same time, even though it is jam packed. And I think it was 100 degrees in that room. From I was understand. very happy to be watching from my office yes. rather than in that committee room because right. so, they looked like they were sweltering in there. Yeah. So so I mean. All four committees going at once. I mean, it makes sense for the legislators. It certainly makes sense for the stakeholders mm-hmm. to reach all those audiences. I mean, rather than take four different days off mm-hmm. work, because those would have been multi-hour hearings if they had done them one by one. Right. For sure. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like they have different subject matter. We can only talk about one part of the bill over here. No, everybody's talking about the whole thing. You'd still hear from 100 people four right. different right. times yeah. to say the same thing. Right. <laughs> so, so we had lots of elected officials there. They had various uh, input on the bill. But if you were a letter of information, unfortunately for some of our folks, it ended up being a very, very long day. Right. And, and you know, for the typical bill that has a 20-minute hearing, it's sort of an orderly way to conduct a hearing to say, let's hear who likes the bill. Mm-hmm. Let's hear who wants to change the bill. 
Let's hear who doesn't like the bill. And then if there are people with technical input, we'll get them too. Right. And like for a 20 minute hearing, that that's a pretty orderly way to run the railroad. For a seven hour hearing though, that means if you're showing up with a technical issue, you're behind a ton of people. And mm. the newspapers have left, they're done. You know, they're done by two or three o'clock. They've right. heard what they right. needed to hear. They got their sound bites and, and the people talking in the hallway and that sort of thing. Okay. So it's it, it made for a pretty long day for a lot of stakeholders, including some of our county people who were all over the map. Right. It happens. You have to I mean there has to be an order, somebody's got to go last. Yeah. Yeah. But it was pretty tough if, if you're that person, especially since the room is sweltering for most of that time. Yeah, you've probably been there from at least like <laughs> 10 in the morning. Hearing starts at like noon and right. yeah, to speak at almost 7 o'clock. Right. Like, yeah. It's a long day. It's and, a long day. And, I mean, so bottom line is, did we really learn anything new here? To me, this was more of a listening session, right? They didn't really debate the bill. It was more of everybody get up here. Let's hear from everybody. But was there, was there anything that we learned from this hearing? I don't want to be dismissive of the whole thing, but you know, as, as we talked about this, we, we see the bill as introduced as not really much of a game changer, particularly on the fiscal issues that county governments are focused on. I think some stakeholders had specific things in the bill. They showed up like the, the section of people who had amendments might have been the most revealing section when people say, well, actually, mm-hmm. when you read this piece on page 19, I have a problem there. Right. That's helpful. If you're a legislator, you turn to page 19, you see what right. they're talking about. That's kind of pinpoint input. But there, there was just wave after wave of love it, love, love it. it. Right. Our kids can't wait and so forth. And that's no surprise. But so there was there was an awful lot of that listening session, you know, more than policy debate. That's probably fair. Mm-hmm. So they're going to continue now to, I guess, work group this. They're going to have some, you know, hearings with legislators, I think, particularly in the House. They're going to sort of go through these amendments that have been proposed, work out some kinks. And then I suspect that we'll see something soon-ish, yeah. you know? Weeks, not days. Okay, right? Right. This isn't that, like It's not like this coming Monday, the new bill shows up and it passes. <laughs> I don't think anyone believes that this is fast-tracked like that. I think we're guessing that maybe this moves like in the wake of the budget plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, whether it's Senate first, like the budget, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you know, they'll get through the budget and the BRFA and the stuff that goes with it, and and then there's kind of a little window of time for something for a little more heavy lifting on the floor. So that would be my best guess is that we're maybe three or four weeks away from the big movement here. Right. That would that makes sense. And then sort of a, a connected headline to Kerwin, the biggest story in town, how to fund it. Right. We've heard a lot of talk about we have this great plan. We have a, a big ideas, but we don't have a funding source yet. Well, this week in the middle of session, we saw a bill drop that would certainly provide a lot of funding for Kerwin. Yeah. So this, this has been a rider on the Kerwin story all along, in part because it's a it's a relatively obvious part of the conversation. Uh, the Kerwin, first you hear about the Kerwin plan, what they want to accomplish and where we're going to get. Okay, these things these things sound like really interesting objectives. And then you hear, oh, but it's going to take a whole lot of money to do. And then there's you know, back and forth about how many dollars and how fast does it come and who pays it. Okay, that's obvious. But when you hear dollars that big, you're like, well, where's this money? Where's this coming from? Right. And, and so a newspaper reporter says, okay, well, where, you know, how, how, how do we pay for this? And the first answer is always, well, that's not in the Kerwin bill. Was, our commission was not told, find the revenue. It's like, you build the plan. So it's the General Assembly's job to put that into some context. And no surprise, you have skeptics of the plan and skeptics of the 
you know, the, the means for the plan have come together and said, well, that needs to be part of this conversation too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the past few weeks, we've seen legislative leaders say, we don't have an appetite to do big across the board changes in our tax structure. We're not going to, we're not going to put a penny on the sales tax. We're not going to do a new bracket on the income tax or just raise everybody's rates. We're not going to do a property tax hike. But we, but we have seen a lot of bills that would remove, sort, you know, tax credits and incentives, and those hearings were jam-packed as well. You're going to have all the business folks show mm-hmm. up who benefit from those, and people argue that they're necessary for economic development. And the only way we can pay for Kerwin is if we expand the tax base, so we <laughs> need to get the business in the state. So it's really difficult, you know, to try and find these cuts, and I think it was ineffective credits, right? But we've talked about it's mm-hmm. not ineffective if there's a ton of money to take back from, you know, claw back by taking these credits away. There's obviously some effectiveness there. I mean, there's a range of political philosophies on what you do with taxes and what you do with economic development and how to go about being competitive. And and surely the idea of world-class schools and a more educated and career-ready workforce fits into that conversation. Mm-hmm, and that's part of the Kerwin debate, too. But this, so this, is, this is all fair game. And, and so that, that's true. So if, if we're not going to do the big across the board tax changes that I've lost track of how many bills we're tracking so that, that are, <laughs> yeah, that have some fiscal consequence, this money yeah. goes into the, goes into the blueprint fund because it comes from digital downloads. We're going to tax Netflix or we're going to tax Google ads, or, you know, we're going to, we're going to get rid of these credits. Or we're going to get rid of these, you know, these little incentives over it's here. Like looking over under the rocks to find wherever. Yeah. Right. Find right. Money. We'll throw everything <laughs> out there. We're going to put a, you know, a checkbox on income tax returns and you can voluntarily donate to fund Kerwin, right? Right. Every, the, the whole gamut. <laughs> Almost everything every, you can everything. think of. Right. And yeah. whether that was a plan or whether that's just a natural confluence of a bunch of different people's ideas of how you might get this done, the word we keep hearing is menu. Now, you know, if you're on the revenue committee in ways and means or in budget and tax, the, the places that do revenue structures, you're sitting there with, we got 19 different bills to think about that change this or change that. They have, they have general fund or you know, education fund money for, you got 10 million here and 150 there and so forth. So, okay, we've seen just about every stripe. This week, suddenly a new one drops and it's sort of a, oh, wow, hold on, a little more gravity. Right? right. So this is coming from the House Majority Leader, Eric Lutke. It's a big change to the sales tax. So it, it drops the state sales tax from six cents to five cents, but it it expands the sales tax to virtually all services. And this is something we've talked about too. It's controversial. There's a lot of money there though, for sure. And so now we see this bill come in in the middle of session, broadening the tax base, but it's a, it's a big revenue gain, you know, potentially the, the, I think the fiscal note estimates about 500 million a year. And, you know, obviously that's, that's the kind of money you need for Kerwin. So, I mean, Natasha, you work a lot with, you know, our business folks in that sector, I have to think that this is going to be, whenever this hearing is, it's going to be panel after panel after panel. Well, you're going to have everyone in, you know, the lawyers, the engineers, IT services. I mean, you're talking services. I mean, the only way that you drop the rate and make a bunch more money is by a big expansion of Mm -hmm. the base. Right. So, you know, right now we'll tax your shoe and we'll tax your subway sub, right? That's, you know, that's what sales tax is about today. Um, we don't tax groceries, we don't tax medicine, but more or less we, when you buy a thing, you pay mm. a sales tax. So this is saying, well, 
our, our, our economy is moving increasingly in the direction of services. So you hire a computer company to do this thing or a landscape architect or a barber or your dry cleaner. The list goes on. Right? Oh, oh, and the list does <laughs> go on, on and, and on. on right? right. And I mean, I, I think a lot of people think, like you said, Michael, this is modernizing our tax structure. But when you think about progressivity, the, I think one of the arguments is, well, wealthier people use these types of services more. But in your opinion, is this really progressive when you look at services? Yeah, I, I don't know how you do that analysis. It's always been sort of a sideshow in tax policy to think, OK, you know, number one, you're trying to raise the revenue to provide the services that you think you know, the state or the county or the, the federal government needs. But there's also another analysis, which is, well, who really bears the burden of, of these payments? And is that being done fairly? Uh, sales taxes generally come out poorly on that scale. Right, they're that, generally regressive. That, that, you know, people who are you know, of, of modest means are you know, you're living closer to paycheck to paycheck and hand to mouth and tend to be spending more of their immediate income on things that you pay taxes on and, and sales tax. Right. Um, so generally speaking, if you're a big champion of progressive taxes, you don't like sales taxes. I don't know if applying this to legal services and information technology and engineers um, and like the whole gamut of things that will be under this bill. And like what this is going to be, this, it's not 10 services. This this is sort of like you're in unless you're exempted out. It sounds like that's the way that structure is. Right. So, I mean, but, you know, you just said engineers and lawyers and you could say, okay, well, typically that would be a wealthier person getting those services. But also we're talking about you got to get your car repaired. You're getting your hair cut. Right. Right. So when you add everything together, I know I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone can say whether or not this is truly a progressive or a regressive idea. I think it must be something in the middle. Now, I mean, but you have to anticipate that in this debate ahead, like you're talking about a bill hearing, but even just in the chatter in the hallways, oh, and that already. is like that is an important part of the policy process. Is forgive me, but like chatter in the hallways and uh, you know on the street corners and at the water cooler equivalents in town, like. People are talking about this bill. I can't count how many people yesterday. Oh yeah, <laughs> just approach, and the first thing they're saying is that sales tax bill. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. This, What's going on? This bill has existed for like two days, right? <laughs> and and it's like uh, I don't know. We're 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 recording on Friday morning. Yesterday on Thursday, I must have had seven conversations, and it's Easy. not even like it's a sales tax bill. It's got nothing to do with county yeah. governments, <laughs> and people are lining up to chat about it. You know, lobbyists are like, you know, I'm, I'm going through my list of clients. I got a lot of people who are going to have something to say about that bill, right? And you know, it's going to be. I mean, the engineers will show up and they'll talk about this professional service. You're going to squeeze us out of here. We'll go to Virginia, I, whatever. I don't. I don't know how that plays out, but you don't know everybody who's coming. Because right. the nail salons are coming, and the babysitters are coming, and, and you know the dog walkers, <laughs> everybody, right? Yeah. So, but this does leave us in a tricky place for Kerwin, right? I mean, the Kerwin plan, as we've talked about, has the state picking up about two point seven billion dollars in new costs. Yeah. Right now, the bottom line for counties is at least one point two billion. We have some different thoughts about that. It may be right. more, right, Michael? Right. So, but but. What we know is the plan is that both the state and the local governments are going to need to pony up a great deal more money. Whatever the phase-in looks like or whatever the details look like at the end, we, we fully anticipate this is going to be a big plan but a big ask of the county. So, I mean, if, you know, if the winds are blowing in the direction of there being a new state revenue source and not, not like – 
the the relative you know the relative sideshow of like sports gambling, which is in the tens of millions, mm. not hundreds. Right. But if you have if, if the idea is going to be we're going to come up with a revenue plan for hundreds of millions of new state revenue because that's what we need to get the state side done, then the counties are going to be left saying, well, where's where's our horse? We got a cart too. Right. <laughs> so you know we're we're being told to do a billion or two billion or something like that. How does how do we get from here to there? Without some new revenue source or or a share of whatever the state is doing, right? And we haven't seen anything on the table as of yet that would be yeah. meaningful in terms of you know hitching our wagon to any horse and, and keeping up with the state, right? And if you look at county revenue structure, forgive me, this is you know, this is a, a routine trope for us now, but the county revenue structure, the big players are income tax and property tax. If seventy-five or eighty percent of people in Maryland are already paying the maximum county income tax then we're basically talking about property taxes footing the bill. Mm. And back to your assessment of who bears the burden of taxes, if you go to the property tax and you got one rate that applies to everybody, that's how property tax work, work here basically, right, right. then here you go. It's going to be – that's going to come out as regressive, mm. you know, a burden mm-hmm. on the poor. Renters pay more than their fair share. Um, it's it's going to get a thumbs down in all those analytics, including – some of the people who care most deeply about this plan, they're going to end up, you know, maybe by backdoor, uh, triggering some pretty regressive tax policy. And so I think, you know, to sort of wrap Kerwin up, I think it's interesting that we've gone from, you know, we don't need any money to pay for Kerwin. And now we see this big sales tax bill that obviously would raise a ton of money. I mean, what's your read here in terms of messaging at this point in session regarding what we need to do to fund, you know, these innovative ideas for schools? Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, as, as we've been talking about it, there's a ton of proposals out there. And it doesn't look like this was an orchestrated dance, that mm-hmm. there was some ringleader that handed out bills to 15 different delegates and 10 different senators and said, please put in this one and please put in that one and so forth. This this feels like it just sort of came from the bottom up. And speaking of that, I mean, <laughs> there's not a Senate companion bill with this House bill. So I think it's it's we're going to have to wait and see right. what the Senate yeah. does if it gets yeah. over there. And I don't think they've talked much right. about what they would do, but this is only a House bill at this point. Yeah, it takes two to tango. And, and all mm-hmm. that conversation has been coming from the House thus far. Right. So, I mean, and that happens. Some, I mean, sometimes we end up with the two chambers have different points of view about how to do something they agree on what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this may be one of those cases. So I don't think the, the forecast is clear, but I, I know on some of these big picture issues, there's Annapolis is prone to message discipline when, when that, when there's a plan. So if you're a leadership legislator and you're a committee chair or a majority leader or the kind of person who goes to the newspaper or goes to the the TV microphone to say the piece, it's sort of like, here's what we're going to be saying about the Kerwin plan and how to fund it. And and this year, I, I feel like there hasn't been a unifying call. So people like us are left to speculate, is it going to be Kerwin plus some incremental revenue items that are kind of along with it, mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. a big revenue item like this. It seems like that's in play, at least in the House right now. And the town is a buzz thinking we feel like we're hearing signals here, right? That, you know, this, this bill makes a big splash and everybody's talking about it. Okay, maybe that is what we're doing. Right. 
So anyway, we're, we're, we're all as stakeholders trying to finger in the breeze what's going on here. It's not totally clear. And, and that observation that this wasn't a joint conference where you have the Senate majority leader doing the same thing as the House, that may be telling you something too. So sure. who knows? Okay, probably enough on Kerwin, as if there's ever enough on Kerwin, right? Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about some innovative ideas for local revenues, and then we'll also talk about some new technology in public safety, all that and more after the break. This is John Frenet with Ion Annapolis to let you know about our daily news brief podcast, If you want to keep up on Annapolis area local news, local weather, and local events, check us out. We produce episodes every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and deliver them right to your phone or computer for free. You can also catch them on our Facebook page, All Annapolis, or under the podcast category at ionannapolis.net. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So, if you want to keep up to speed on Mayor Buckley, County Executive Pittman, Navy football, maybe you're looking for a weekend thing to do, or if you just want to catch the hyper-local weather, give a listen to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson and Natasha Mayhew. We left off talking about local revenues. There's one bill that I think is interesting and that we should discuss a little bit, and this has to do with data centers. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's coming from the shore, the right. upper eastern shore, which is not usually where you think of when you think of tech stuff. Right. I mean, yeah, we're kind of used to, you know, we're kind of used to saying, well, this, there's a big push from the I-270 corridor mm-hmm. and, or, or whatever, like the, you know, the, the jet propulsion lab and the, the gown around there mm-hmm. or something up in Aberdeen or whatever. But this is, you know, Kent County in the Eastern shore right. is saying, wow, this is a real priority for us. Interesting twist. Right? Yeah. So this bill is all about creating incentives for data centers under our tax code. They'd get a break on the sales tax that they pay for equipment that's related to their work. And then a local option, property tax uh, credits or exemptions, if the locals want to do that. So if this was in Kent County, the county would have an option to give additional breaks. Right. right. And that's the kind of stuff we like. Make it a local option. Don't right. mandate this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a couple angles here, but um, I think the bottom line is we, we mentioned in the in the front half of this this episode like the, the debate about doing economic development and and tax policy I mean, in a perfect world you want to provide the incentive that makes the thing happen right you know it's like okay because of this incentive you get you get the new business or you get the expansion and it happens because they got the assistance they needed if, if you could read everybody's mind you say well okay this company didn't need the tax break so and you know that's, that's it's tough right. Yeah, right so but it, we don't have the mind reading technology quite yet oh, <laughs> later on <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> you know, on the back end right but um but i i do feel like at the bill hearing i was in the room listening to this discussion and like a data center feels like it might be almost the perfect case for we can do this anywhere. Right. We can, we can build the box and you know, we'll, we'll hire people to do the stuff, and but we, we need to house data. We're going to put the, you know, we need to put in, you know, refrigeration to keep the, the, the systems and the servers cool and that sort of thing. But that can be in North Dakota. It can be in New Mexico. It can be in Maryland. So, like, we're going to go to a place that, you know, gives us a nice soft landing. And some of that is going to be tax treatment. And we've heard Virginia has given, you know, they are, they have a, an abundant amount of these data centers, right? And it's because they have <laughs> some incentives, right? We have right. Virginia. Yeah. So we're trying to keep up there, but particularly for Kent County, I think this is a great 
win for them if this bill were to pass. Yeah, and we were in Kent County a few months ago and got a tour of the new facility out there um, that they're building. Uh, and it seems like the perfect place for you know centers like yeah. these. Yeah, and actually, and actually, you know, Commissioner Bob Jacob from Kent County was down here to testify about the bill, basically saying, look, this is a linchpin to the county's plan. It would bring in good jobs, economic activity. This would be a big win for them. And Natasha, as you said, we were there and, you know, they have, you wouldn't think of Kent County with these brand new high tech buildings. And I, I was super impressed for what I saw down there. And then, of course, you've been following what they've been doing with, you know, their infrastructure as well. Yeah. And so they've really built out um, their broadband services, which helps for that. And obviously you would need that kind of, you know, high speed. If, you, if you're a data center, a data center and you have Facebook or Google and you're in Kent County, you need to have high speed Internet to transmit all that data back and forth. So they're, it seems like they're ready to go. They, they have the infrastructure in place. They just need a little bit of help to draw these folks from, say, Virginia. It's interesting. I mean, as a matter of tax policy, you don't apply sales tax to things that are an intermediate product. So if you're a manufacturer, there's already a law that says you buy stuff that's eventually going to be put into a product that you later sell. You don't charge sales tax at the intermediate steps. You basically say tax things at the end. Here we're saying, okay, well, this is this is going to be a business that probably is going to have to buy a bunch of equipment and use it here. And that might make it subject to sales tax mm -hmm. because at the end of the line, they don't generate a thing. And so they're not manufacturers exactly. But philosophically, you can make the case, okay, this is just technology is ahead of policy. Let's let's realign here. If your if your business is gonna be data collection and aggregation service and you're storing and maintaining, you know, on, on behalf of someone, right. okay, that is an end product. So maybe the sales tax shouldn't be applied at those intermediate steps. So I mean this you know, it it gets wonky, but you get the argument that okay. Like sales tax is a thing, personal property tax is a thing. Let's let's you know let's let's make this a soft landing so they can look and say, all right. In addition to Virginia, and North Dakota, Maryland's a spot. All right. And speaking of technology and policy, Natasha, you're obviously following public safety issues for Mako. It seems like I mean, just going through the synopses and hearing you talk about some of these bills, it seems to me that there is a whole wave of tech-related bills, specifically in public safety this year, right? Yeah, I mean, in particular, surveillance is a really hot topic. Technology is really changing um, the nature of what we mean by public safety right. surveillance. Right. And it's like one of my favorite shows on Netflix is Black Mirror. And I feel like more and more you're just seeing things happening yes. now in real life where you're like, uh, this is not TV. But this is far too real. Right. It's getting too real. And we are right. too behind on the policy compared right. to I the mean, technology. Yeah, it's, it's another one of these cases where you look at the way laws are written and they're written around like wiretaps. Mm -hmm. right? You know what I mean? Like, like, like 30 years ago, there's all this body of case law and all these things about privacy. And it's about, well, if I make a phone call from a payphone, am I entitled to privacy? Or what needs to be in the request for a warrant for you to tap someone's phone line in their home? So, I mean, laws are written based on the technology of like the 1970s. Fast forward to today and the idea of where are you entitled to privacy, you've got to reevaluate everything. <laughs> right, right. And we've moved way beyond wiretaps. So now you have right. cell site simulators. And, you know, what right. circumstances are, is it okay to use those? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, where you have towers that are simulating typical cell towers, but your phone will be pinging off of those instead. And right. 
very different from having the phone in your house. Right. So, and, and, and so this is an issue where if you're in law enforcement, you're, you're trying to find ways to, you know, to catch illegal activity or conspiracy stuff that's, that's going mm-hmm. on and that sort of thing. And the law has to sort out where's the right line between appropriate surveillance and intrusion on people's privacy. And now you've got to reframe that about technology that didn't exist in some cases, 20 years ago, right. but in some cases, it feels like 20 minutes ago, yeah. right? <laughs> Literally, right? Literally. Yeah, it, it raises a lot of questions now about persistent surveillance. Mm, and right. when you're consistently um, um, surveilling someone. Um, there's a lot of background on this with aerial devices, um, which were used for a bit in Baltimore. And right. again, currently being debated in yeah. the General Assembly. But that's, that's sort of a... A, a rider question. I mean, we use the word warrant right. and everybody kind of understands that process, right? The, the police or, or the prosecutors go to a judge, they make a case. We need particular surveillance on this particular person for this particular reason. Here's the sheets of paper that explain it. Some authority figure signs off and then you do this kind of focused surveillance right. or here's a place where we think these things are happening. So we want to surveil that particular place now the idea of, well, what if there's persistence only surveillance that's just out there and then, wow, oh, a crime has been committed. Let's go back and run the tapes and see if we can find where did the getaway car go. And typically right. that's <laughs> where you would see, you know, something, maybe that kind of evidence be thrown out because, you know, you had a warrant for a specific item or for a specific location or a specific person. But now if you're just surveilling everybody all the time, it's like, well, where is the line and do we even need these kind of warrants anymore? If we're just going to have persistent surveillance on everybody, then obviously I, I, to me, it's like, well, the whole case for a warrant is sort of thrown out the window because you're just going to be watching someone all the time or someplace all the time. It's a weird dynamic that, that I think is playing out. And that, Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're trying to figure out. Where are you crossing that line? How you would work warrants on this? Uh, you know, and of mm-hmm. course, the people concerned with privacy, it's just like, well, what about John Doe and Jane Doe just walking? in the street we're being surveillance too and you know what about our privacy and in the next frontier i mean so shout out to the daily right this is one of the podcasts that we listen to daily right (laughs) every day and there was a fascinating episode on facial recognition technology and i feel like it was perfect timing because we had just seen a couple of bills that were introduced and we were like, what is this? And then you hear this episode on the daily and I was freaked out by the whole thing. So, I mean, everyone should listen yeah, to that. Yeah. I was like, this is what facial recognition technology and, is? And that's really like the Who next frontier. Company? Yeah. So what is, what is this and why is this such a hot topic? Yeah. And it, it's basically technology that can track your face and it, it could when you think about all the ways it could be used by all sorts of different people, and there, there is always, of course, particularly from the county um, perspective, you're thinking police and right. surveillance, mm-hmm. and you're trying to catch bad guys. Um, but we're also seeing bills come in about facial recognition in HR, and then oh, you like know, in, like in hiring. Yeah. Oh, well, take, take a snapshot. Let's run. Let's run. We are, what's she been doing lately? Right. Oh, oh right. Fort Lauderdale. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or like facial recognition on the private end of things. I know. At one time, I signed up to do clear at the airport, and I'm like, I just gave away all my face information. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like scans. And there away. was that app, uh, like you know, maybe <laughs> last year, right. where everybody's uploading their face on the phone so they could look old and you're like well who's where's this data going it turns out it was going to probably a not so great actor and that was eventually shut down but they now have 
all of these data points. They now have everyone's faces that they can just throw into a database, right? Suddenly you're on the internet. It's like, oh, I can find you. Look, here you are, like 30 feet behind in that picture there. We've got you. (laughs) But, but I mean, okay, so today's debate, and we've seen bills in the General Assembly this year about, hey, let's, let's, let's put a pause on using this for public safety purposes or for HR purposes, but... We can tell where this is going, not to get into Black mm-hmm. Mirror, but it, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's going to happen, right? It's just it's like it's a matter of months, not years and years before you walk into Best Buy and suddenly there's like a thing that pops up on your watch or on your electronic glasses or whatever that says, hey, you know, remember when you bought that refrigerator, you probably need a new water filter because it's been four months since the last time you bought a water filter. So once you head over to aisle five, because it's only thirty two ninety nine. We already put it in your electronic basket for you. Right. right? Well, and, and, I mean, quite frankly, we're kind of used to that on the Internet, right? The cookies that follow you around and you, you know, you Google something and then all of a sudden the next day you have ads popping up all over, you know, your social media is showing you, hey, here we got a sale on this. You were looking at it yesterday, right? So this is sort of the mm-hmm. same thing, but it's a little more real and black mirrorish when you talk about walking into Best Buy and getting that personal notification. I, I just feel like there's a whole generation of people. I mean, I, I, I took constitutional law classes in college, too, and so forth. And, like, we studied these cases. I remember it's a Griswold case of, of, like, you know, a person in a public pay phone making a private phone call. Are you entitled to your own privacy in that circumstance? Right. And by, by comparison, those privacy issues just seem, like, quaint and adorable <laughs> compared to the – like really complicated and tricky issues that like, what is privacy now? Do you walk, you walk out your front door and there might be a camera in the car driving by. Mm-hmm. Have you now just like, I, I volunteered everything because I came out and you're allowed to see my face. Or your neighbor has a ring camera, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden you're, you mean, so there already is a lot of surveillance out there, but this is like, I know Michael, you always like to talk about whack-a-mole. It's like every day you're going to, you're going to legislate and, and try and handle one of these new technologies. And the next day a new one's going to pop up. And you're, you're already 10 steps Yeah. Sometimes. You're already behind. You're already behind. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So this is all interesting and you know, we love technology and how it plays into the, the policy making process. We're just trying to keep up. There's a lot of questions of interstate commerce and to what extent limits can come from the states or from Congress. I mean, this is a lively area for debates. And again, this is going to be an issue that's ongoing and that we'll continue to talk about because we love it. I think so. All right. So we'll leave it there for this week. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way you'll get episodes sent directly to you. Follow along on social media, Twitter and Facebook. And of course, the Conduit Street blog. But until next week, for Natasha and Michael, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Mm